Podcasts with you for the week of December 16th, 2020. Joining us once again is Sandra Cianimini Swindle. I'm Stan Daniel. With me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. Did you get Cyberpunk 2077? Yeah, I did. What platform are you playing it off of? Xbox One S. Was it a digital copy? No. Okay, so you got the disc. I know nothing about Cyberpunk 2077 other than, and tell me if I'm wrong on any of these, Keanu Reeves. He's in it. The comic book about the medical trauma unit, what's supposed to be one tiny aspect of what Cyberpunk is supposed to be about. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And thanks to the internet and sites everywhere, you have customizable male genitalia. Oh, Lord. You have, yes, it's very limited. <laughs> there's, no there's comment. Two, there, there's two sizes. And there's just two. Cut, just two, and there's cut and uncut. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so there's, there's the Abrahamic God version. <laughs> And then the sinners that are going straight to hell. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I'm playing with a character that is female. Yeah. I gave her the largest breast size you can give a character in the game. Oh, God. And I gave her a large uncut penis, too. I was going to say, can you have hermaphrodites? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, because they don't do it as male, female. It's mostly just here's the body design. Here's what you can do with it. And that's sort of it. Knock yourself out. Yeah, I didn't intentionally plan to make that. I was just messing around with the character stuff, seeing the different combinations. I was like, yeah, the face looks fine. I'm not messing with anything else and just sort of went with that. Ah, uh, but then you learned that you cannot change your appearance in Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you probably can. I, I, it doesn't really matter. Every well, time I go to look into the mirror, because you can look into a mirror and see your character or do like uh-huh. a photo mode. My character, who has a large head of hair, long red hair, if I look in a mirror, it glitches out and she's just bald. Oh, weird. They're saying on PC Gamer that you can make your character so detailed that some people have made him look like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, you can, to some extent, you can get them to look like that. And I'm playing it on the base consoles. I mean, it ain't gonna. Look, it don't look good either way. Yeah, but they don't let you change your character appearance. Huh. That's Which interesting. I assume is something that'll get changed later. I'm predominantly somebody. I I play all the Star Wars stuff that comes mm-hmm. out, and that's about it. Every now and again, I'll see a video game that catches my interest, and I'll grab it, like Injustice or the Marvel stuff, something along those lines. I did not grab Avengers. That never caught my interest. Avengers apparently caught nobody's interest. <laughs> that's what I under... Yeah. They lost a lot, and, they, and they're continually losing a ton of money on that game, because they have to keep the servers up and running. That's what I heard and understand. Now, outside of that, I love Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Both of them. Love them to death. I understand that Cyberpunk was supposed to be the be-all, end-all game. It was originally announced in 2012. Wow. They may not have been working on any of it then. It was just simply the game that they knew that they were going to make after Witcher 3. Maybe not quite a full year, but it was the next year they had a a short teaser trailer for it. So it was announced in 2012, and it's December of 2020, and we're getting a 60% or 75% finished game out of it. Wow. This has been talked about for all those years. Everybody has anxiously awaited it. And there seems to be nonstop complaints. So tell us, Albert Marsh, what are your complaints about Cyberpunk 2077? 
Before we get to the complaints, there is positives. The world design's great as far as art direction. When you do the main story missions, the ones I've done so far are very, very well done as far as the story aspect of them. Uh, the music's great. The world building itself is well done. When you get beyond the, the art side of it, it all is a huge mess. You're talking about playability? Yeah, not necessarily like it. The gameplay, it's the, the base gameplay of it as far as leveling up and having stats, having wanting to do a certain build of a character or play style or, or class, you could say. It's all in there and it all works well enough and it's pretty well put together and you can sort of play how you want to play. The gunplay is fine. Using swords and hand-to-hand combat stuff is fine for a game like this. But once you have to get down to the, the game actually having to use its brain to accomplish anything, it, it all just just breaks up. There's two missions that sort of encompassed everything screwy with what I've come in contact with. So one mission was just a basic side mission where you get a call from someone. There's a guy over here you need to kill. So go kill him and we'll pay you. (laughs) Just basic. Go kill, but go kill this gang. So you go up to the building and the AI for the whole gang instantly breaks on me or does something or it's not programmed. I don't know if it breaks, but it's not programmed because usually when you do these things, who's ever your targeted, the guy you're going for, they usually just stay in the building. You're supposed to just go defeat their gang guys. Someone will come out. Some are on watch duty inside. But no, all the characters, AI, I don't know if they're designed like this because they didn't finish it or it broke, but every person in that building all rushed to the front door. Not like a big open door, but a small just one person door at the same time, including the guy you're supposed to kill. So I'm just doing nothing except shooting them, but they're 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 filing out faster than I can get to them. So I was well there's a ladder on the side of the building, so I'll just go climb up the top of the building and try to deal with it up there. I walk around the side of the building and somewhere along the lines a car had spawned the game spawned the car there with extra bad guys in it but the car was not meant to be there so the car is wedged in between the building and a wall in an alleyway one of the guys in the car is glitched out and acting and just flickering and doing all sorts of weird stuff and the other two guys they're still doing what they're programmed to do which was hang out of a window and shoot me. So that car's all jacked up and that one dude's messed up. So I go to the top of the building. So all the bad guys, are they're, they're all still on the AI or whatever design it is where they all come after me. They just make my job easy. Every single last one of them, including the target, all go up the ladder one at a time in a row. <laughs> Well, I just shoot, I shoot them all, shoot them all, shoot them all. Isn't it all possible that the game is too smart and it's gotten out of hand? No, no, no. It's just not finished. See, and, and that's not even when I finished the mission, I killed the guy that was obviously the boss because he looked different from the rest of them, even though he was acting the same as the rest of them. I get a little phone call from the person with the mission, and, and there goes mission accomplished, blah, blah, blah. And I noticed I didn't get anything, I didn't get experience or anything. So I, I loot all the bodies. I leave the area, I come back. So I was like, I'm going to go in the building. And what screwed up, even though it said mission accomplished, there was one henchman dude in the building whose AI just broke on him. He wasn't glitched out or nothing, but he was standing still holding a gun. For some reason, even though the game said I accomplished a mission and in my 
mission menus and stuff like that so it was done when i shot him that's when it gave me everything for the mission most npcs have a routine yeah even if it's just something as simple as this guy on the street talks to this guy walks down talks to that guy then he goes back and starts it over everyone's routine just gets busted in this game constantly there's video clips where someone would fire their gun up in the air and every civilian on the street would stop put their hands on their head and squat down and they're all doing the same thing. They're all doing the same animation. No one's running. It's like clones of each other. So they all are acting as one non-player character. Yeah. Whatever happens, whether they all have the same programming to them or something in the game busted like I, on that, I don't know. Now, I did a main mission, one of the big story missions. In fact, it's the story mission that the first big trailer they showed for the game, mm-hmm. where the main character's in his car and his buddy's dying, and then at the end of it, that's when Keanu Reeves showed up. I got to that mission and instantly that mission it doesn't screw up it's doing freaky stuff because what you do you go, get in a car and you go to the hotel you get into a special super expensive car with AI and all that stuff my buddy that gets in the car every time I leave the area and come back his motorcycle just spawns out of nowhere and flies across the screen and if you don't watch it that, that motorcycle will fly across the screen out of thin air and kill you I whistled for my horse once in the valley where the Confederates were storing the dynamite in Red Dead Redemption, and my horse ran right off the edge of the cliff and landed on top of me. <laughs> in this story mission, very well done mission, and most of it was fine, but it, it busted on me like three times. Twice, because you had to get in multiple elevators at the end of it to try to make your way back down to the thing. The elevators didn't work. I've so never I, heard anything like this going wrong with the Star Wars games. But the, How much but did you goof, pay for it? Oh, 60 bucks. The mission messed up twice, two completely different ways. At the very end of that, you're in a car, you're, you're driving off, and you're like, oh, there's drones. They're sending drones after us. And your character's like, okay, I got it. So I hang out the window and and here's my gun and all my guns do this. They don't exist. My hands are animated and arms are animated like I'm holding invisible guns. And when I hit the fire button, my arms and stuff do everything and they reload, but it shoots no bullets or anything. It's just like I'm, I'm shooting invisible guns with my arms. So I died because you can't kill people with bullets that don't exist. Well, you know that none of it exists because it's a video game, right? You think, you think that. <laughs> And then when I res- then when I died and respawned and, and redid that car thing, it did the complete opposite. My guns showed up, but they were just floating up in the air, and I didn't have any arms. Given all of this, if you knew this now before you put down the $60, would you put down the $60? Oh, Lord, no. I would have waited. So this is an absolute, you would not have bought this at all? No. As much as I've been waiting for this game, I would have touched it if I knew it was this busted. In a lot of video game things, especially on larger games, the developer's bonuses are not really attached to game sales. They're attached to game reviews. Yeah. So it don't matter if a game sells millions of copies if it reviews like in like a 70-something, then they don't get a bonus. Well, the well, they did an official announcement that said, hey, based on how poorly this game got launched because we forced it out the door when it shouldn't have, they pretty much admitted that they were just going to give the developers the bonuses anyway because they knew the reviews were screwed on this game. If you haven't spent your $60, probably spend it on the Star Wars flying game instead. I don't know, that or Animal Crossing or something. Animal Crossing. And that was Albert Marsh's unbiased review on Cyberpunk 2077. I got to say, Albert, the only problem I actually have encountered other than just random things in Red Dead Redemption with non-player characters 
the most trouble I ever have with non-player characters is when I go to Walmart. <laughs> they're all they're all glitched out in Walmart. Everybody. Yeah, they all they get really glitchy really quick in there. <laughs> and then after I run through the self checkout, my horse comes off the ceiling and lands on me. <laughs> oh, and another thing about Cyberpunk, like I would like walk across the street in the game, and I would get ran over by a randomly. Spawning car that just showed up out of nowhere. It wasn't there like one second ago. The thing literally spawned two foot in front of me and ran me over. Maybe if you played it from the point of view that you're in a world where physics is breaking down. See, my theory is that they legit see cyberpunk is like some janky ass world. Whenever you see cyberpunk stuff or Blade Runner, that style, reality or future, it's all just like mega corporations and then just junk everywhere. So maybe that's what they did. Maybe the mega corporation, the big guys, CD Projekt Red, screwed over everyone else and laughed to the bank because that's the most cyberpunk thing they could have done. Cyberpunk. 2077. Don't do it. Not even once. <laughs> Let's review some comics. That cool? I guess. Oh, maybe. Image Comics. Post-Americana, number one. Writer and artist Steve Scross. Colorist Dave Stewart. Well, in Pull List, when we were doing Pull List... I made the comment of, do we need another post-apocalyptic comic right now? Albert, you said no. Sandra said no. For you both read Post-Americana. Did this change your mind? It didn't change my mind, but I thought it was a good comic. Yeah, I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. It's a little, it's different. And my gosh, and this, this guy's art is always, there's so much to see in every panel. The art in it is yeah. exemplary. The art is easily a five. There's no and yeah. ifs or buts about yeah. it. You want Steve Scross doing things like this. I'd love to see him draw a diagram of the Batcave. He's not afraid to take his time with this stuff. The characters look great, but to me, it kind of read like that god-awful post-apocalyptic zombie book crossed, except We've got a little bit of a twist. Yeah. A to, lighter to, version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lighter version to some level is it. Because none of this in this book is original at all. No. The people living underneath ground, the the cannibals, people sort of collecting and looking for like old technology just so they can have something. It's all unoriginal, but he does a very good job of doing it, of making it. Like, well, to me, the, it's worth it's worth a shot to read. The main character who's introduced several pages into the book, post-apocalyptic warrior, I forget her name, or I don't even know if they threw her name out there. She strikes me immediately in reading her by the end of this issue. All I could think about was the Punisher, The End by Garth Ennis. Remember that where he was in a post-apocalyptic world? What he did was made it his dying mission to get into the secret bunkers where what was left of the government and the one percenters remained and killed them. I don't know I don't if she really came that. off that way to me. Oh, if you haven't read Punisher the End, it's it's one of the best single issue comics ever made. Mm. It's very dark. And I mean, this is too. It's But you want to look at it because damn, like you said, Sandra, Scross's art is outstanding. That diagram of Cheyenne Mountain, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, that's what I was saying. I want to see him do the Batcave. Hell, I want to see him. Let him design Krakoa. Well, even the last page where all the cannibals Wakanda. show up, everyone's little cannibal skin costumes have all these little details and stuff on them. Yeah, well, that's 
primarily what reminded me of Crossed more than anything else, because they were doing that in Crossed, too. And I hated Crossed. I hated that I even knew what we had read enough to know to make that correlation. Crossed was, it's a thing where you had the original Ennis thing, which by itself was, I guess, acceptable. I, yeah, I don't even know if I'd go that far. And then you had the follow-ups, which were did by, who, who did it? David how you pronounce his last name? He did Stray Bullets. David Laffam? Laffam or something? Yeah. Yeah, Laffam. He wrote a lot of those follow-up stuff. And content-wise, it was some of the worst content I've ever seen in a comic book that any real, I guess, major publisher would ever put out. More than anything else, I hated that there was an actual market for Crossed. Yeah. That's what bothered me most. Not so much about this because I have justified me personally buying things in the past just based on the art content. There are some things like that last one shot that Frank Miller put out of The Dark Knight. I forget the name of the artist on it. By God, grandpa? that was worth it. Yeah, yeah, just or for the However art. you say it, it's, I just call yeah. him Grandpa. Yeah, just for the art, that book was worth it. Yeah. Not that it was a bad book overall, but just for the art. Same thing with this, in my opinion. Steve Scross's art in Post-Americana, worth it just for the art. The other thing is, like, there's a market for this, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Walking Dead. If you're interested in the post-apocalyptic dystopian thing, I don't think there's anything new in this. It was entertaining, and the art was fantastic. I could just sit there and pick out all the details. Some of these outfits these guys are wearing, and the, the cities, the fast food place that was actually made to look like a burger, a French fry, and a Coke. So, well, that's yeah. that's a little bit because this is set in a little bit of the distant future. Okay, if you if you look at some of the equipment and all they're using, sure. mm-hmm. that the apocalypse is not happening in twenty twenty one. Rather, it looks like the apocalypse here happens somewhere around twenty forty five. This is more like. Yeah. yeah, this is a got. It's kind of like if you mixed Mad Max and RoboCop together. I think there's going to be there's definitely a little satire vibe, but the, it, it does have a lot of cliches. But I got I, well, that, I, I more assume that that's what this book's going to be. It's just going to be Scross doing his version of all the cliches of this stuff. Because there's no way we don't literally get Mad Max crap in this book. Man, we're going to get that. Well, I mean, the well, y'all are saying, already. Y'all are saying Mad Max and y'all are saying these higher end like RoboCop. I wouldn't have associated RoboCop with this. To me, the post-apocalyptic characters outside of Cheyenne Mountain read more like characters that Ash from Evil Dead is going to encounter. All of those movies have like a satire, dark humor yeah. element. Or right, when I so, say RoboCop, I meant the guy giving all that rah-rah speech in, under, uh, in Cheyenne Mountain, that kind of thing. Oh, the very Frank Miller-esque political. Yeah. Point of view character. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as though he is the Reagan from Dark Knight. Yeah, that's that's instantly who I figured what Based he was on. probably really going for. Like it, the way he talks and everything is very much a caricature of Reagan. Well, but yep, this yep, is yep. worth it for the art. Easily. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a five. I gave the dynamic a two. So my score overall for this book is 3.3. I gave the writing a three and the art a five in the dynamic a three. So you're at 3.7 yeah. for this book. Okay. Yeah. Albert? I gave the writing a three and I gave the art and dynamic a five. Oh, wow. So you're at 4.3 for the book. Yeah, okay, it, excellent. It, finds, it, it's not, it doesn't really find a balance. It's just that Scrote lets the art do most of the lifting. So it's not overwritten. Dark Horse Comics. Cyberpunk 2077, Trauma Team, number four. Writer Colin Bunn, art by Miguel Valderrama. I got to tell you, 
this book genuinely made me interested in the game, knowing that this is just a minor aspect of what could occur in the game. But Albert has fixed my interest in the game for me. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the trauma team stuff is in the game. No, I don't doubt it. That's what I'm saying. It's just one aspect of it. Like, I thought it was real. Yeah, I thought it was real neat that the first sort of real story mission I did. Yeah. You go find someone. Someone has put a chip in them to block the trauma team signal or they couldn't Mm -hmm. find them. So you you go find them. You take the chip out of them. And then, you know, the trauma team shows up with their their little ship thing and their ambulance and get them and come out with their guns. And you sort of like, all right, I'll back up. And I thought that was neat that even in the first mission, we go ahead and have this sort of thing to help connect it all. Was that worth $60? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) The comic book, Cyberpunk number four, Trauma Team number four, good, solid, neo-cyber dystopia story. Bun and Valderrama are solid on this book. It was entertaining. I don't regret reading this book, even though I'm not going to be involved in the video game in any way. It wasn't too over the top. I gave this issue threes across the board. It's perfectly paced. You know, it's just four issues long. It's got a very simple, even if it didn't have cyber, the game or that universe attached to it, like this is just a great self-contained read. And I gave the overall series, the dynamic of five and the writing and art of four. Okay. And I I completely recommend this to anybody. So you gave it a 4.3 and would recommend it to anybody. I would recommend it a little more to the people that are into the game that would like a little more to the game. But I also would say, you know what? This is a pretty good read. Neo-cyberpunk. So, yeah. And now, DC Comics. Did you see where they're talking about Batman saying the F word and all this stuff with Justice League? (laughs) I've been laughing my ass off. (laughs) Man, what a... It's going to be R. And now it's it's not going to be one sitting. We're going to stretch it over two weeks. It's going to take you two weeks to watch Justice League. And Batman will say the F-bomb. Why is Snyder being such a f***ing idiot about this thing? (laughs) Man, I I wish I had an answer for it. I don't know. I think he's got pictures on Killar, CEO of Warner Brothers. His name is Killar. It's K-I-L-A-R. I think he's got pictures or something to blackmail Killar with. The CEO has no choice, but when another bill for the movie comes across his desk, he just has to blindly sign off on it. And here's the problem I have with some of this stuff. Let's take some of the more diehard Snyder fans on this. There are diehard Snyder fans. You keep saying that. I think I've only ever met one. (laughs) So here's how this mess works. So these dudes, I guess there's women too. I ain't seen one, but I guess they're out there. They ride Josh Whedon to death about the scene where Flash runs into Wonder Woman, the protector, and like he lands on her boobs or whatever. Yeah. So apparently that's an issue, but Batman rocket launcher in his car through people's heads is the most mature, serious thing you could ever put in a movie, and it and it deserves respect. That's the MPAA. There is a movie out there, and it's an older no, movie. No, no, we're not talking about ratings. I'm talking about people thinking there's something wrong with the, the Flash scene and being completely okay with the Batman scene. It ain't about rating. It's about what... It's stupid either way. Like, Batman doesn't need to launch his car through people's heads. Like, anything Snyder does gets a free pass when the man just put out a shitty movie. Well, we were going to go over this later, but Snyder had talked to Entertainment Weekly and had gone on and here's a piece of information nobody knows. The movie is insane and so epic that it's probably rated R. 
Now, it's coming out on HBO Max, right? That's the one thing I think will happen, that it will be an R-rated version for sure. Snyder told that to Entertainment Weekly. We haven't heard from the MPAA, but that's my gut. Now he wants a theatrical release of it, and he wants a black and white release of it, and he wants an R-rated cut of it. Snyder has gone off the deep end with this. At some point, and it's coming up real quick, and we'll talk about that a little later on, but at some point, somebody at Warner Brothers has to do a reality check on this. So eventually we're going to get to the point where like, what if we're a Batman calls Lois Lane a Oh, God, Albert. That'll have to be beeped. Yeah, you can beep that out. But that's what we're getting to. That's what we're getting Uh, to. If it came to that, I'm pretty sure Amy Adams can kick Affleck's ass. Interspersed with all this, did you notice that there's quietly been articles out from Hollywood Reporter and Entertainment Weekly that Warner Media's Justice League investigation has ended and Ray Fisher, Cyborg, has thanked fans for their support? There's no clear definition of what happened. Well, see, I was uh, gonna, I was gonna mention that tonight. It's not like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing where there's accusations and audio and all this stuff. It was literally like, well, what happened? Why won't someone explain what happened beyond the last thing anyone hearing was Ray Fisher was on a phone call and someone on the other end of the phone call was making pizza rolls in a microwave and he didn't like it so he hung up. Ray Fisher and Warner Brothers says that it has led to remedial action and some of the remedial action has already occurred and some of it you might, might see in the future. That's ridiculous. This was a big brouhaha in the comic book community and the Hollywood community. Nothing ever came of that. And now we've got, oh, there's been remedial action. I suppose what you could say the remedial action has been would be, if you looked at it in one light, Joss Whedon, who had signed on to Warner Brothers to do Batgirl at the very beginning of all of this, which is how he ended up getting saddled with Justice League. And let me make this clear. I am not by Joss Sweden like I am, say, George Lucas. So I'm not looking to defend him. I'm just looking at what's going down here. He had automatically been cut from the Batgirl project at Warner Brothers by the time the filming for Justice League had ended. Jeff Johns is not currently slated to write any DC books, is he? He was also part of the complaint. Yeah, yeah, he's right. He's, right. he's doing that uh, Three Jokers follow-up and probably something. He's got an, another oh. volume of Batman or one or whatever the hell it is. Watch, his name will be taken off the Snyder Cut. I don't know. Somewhere on his name, it'll it'll probably be an executive producer or something like that. I assume that's there no matter what. Well, these they are the only... about that. There's unions in place for that. These are the only things that I can tell or that I see that look like any sort of remedial action, but I've got news for you. Are you ready, Sandra? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Get, get ready. Big I'm Joss ready. Whedon news here, Sandra. Joss Whedon had released a statement about his parting of the ways with Ronald brothers recently. Let me read the statement verbatim. According to Entertainment Weekly, Whedon had stepped down from the upcoming HBO drama series The Nevers. Mm-hmm. He parted with the network completely according to this. His statement that was released said, I am genuinely exhausted and am stepping back to marshal my energy toward my own life, which is also at the brink of an exciting change. Well, the buzz is is that Disney Plus is about to greenlight Firefly. You hear that sound? Do you hear that sound, Stan? That's the karma bus smacking you down and then putting it 
it in reverse and running you back over. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Know what's going to happen if they I've do that? A... The day the first episode hits of Firefly or Serenity or whatever in the stupid anime ripoff name he's going to come up for with this one. <laughs> I'm going to cancel my Disney Plus. No, oh, you no, you're are. not. We're big. We're big supporters of Firefly here and anything <laughs> Joss Whedon does. <laughs> Go Joss! <laughs> All those times that I you mean, went on and on about that's hilarious, hilarious. Well, remember, Josh yeah. Whedon got me too. That's why he. That's what he got in trouble with to start with. He got you too. Me too. Me too. Oh yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, he got yeah, he got Albert. He got Albert good. <laughs> show us on I'm the sorry. show us on the Batman action figure where he touched you, Albert. What? Josh Whedon has been reduced. Did he get to, me tuned? Yeah, no, he got YouTubed. YouTubed. <laughs> I don't know what what you're talking about, man. But it said that his Pippa Smith thing was not going forward either, yeah. which was supposed to be at Freeform. So there's two shows that have been shelved. If he's so exhausted, why is he going on a Firefly? Well, th- that's just rumor that uh, Disney Plus is going to greenlight Firefly. There's nothing heavily backing that other than uh-huh. his statement. There's a difference between being strong-armed into taking on a project you did not want to be a part of, Justice League, and then working on something you've created yourself. Albert, go back and explain to people what you meant by him being me too Womanizer, I guess. I guess that's a simplified way of putting it. Oh, like yeah. Warren Ellis? No, I don't know what like Warren Ellis. I don't think it was with young women or anything. I think he, I think you're looking more along the lines of Michael Bay telling Megan Fox show up in Daisy Dukes and tie knot shirt for the really? audition. Probably like that. I don't even remember it. Look, they didn't follow through on. Because, I mean, he's always been about pushing strong yes, he's female all, characters. Yes, he has from the very beginning. Uh-huh. That's why I think it's important. Yeah, I put you down cards on the table, Warner Brothers. Tell us who got remedial action and over what. But I don't think Warner Brothers is going to do any of that, and we'll discuss that a little later on. Let's get into some DC comics. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Green Lantern, Season 2, Number 10. Writer Grant Morrison, art by Liam Sharp. That initial cover, cover A, is very bland. The cover to this comic, the which, uh, Green Lantern, yeah, to Green Lantern. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it's I don't, just, I don't, it, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't get that cut. Co- I, I mean, I get the cover, but there's no. It deserves a better designed cover because yeah. that last page, that last page, if that had been the cover, that thing been would be flying off the shelves more so than it normally does. Who did the cover? But Liam Sharp. Oh, really? It's not, it's not badly drawn. It's just bland. It's predominantly white, and it's got two versions of Green Lantern and two versions of Star Sapphire flying at each other. There's just not anything to it compared to what happens when you open the cover and get into the book. Damn, suddenly Liam Sharp's art is schizophrenic all over the place through this issue. Albert has often said in the past that he can do any style. He does any and every style throughout this issue. Wow, that cover kind of looks like uh, old Ariel Olivetti. You can easily compare him to Olivetti, except he does things that I've never seen Olivetti pull off. Oh, well, no. I, I mean, I'm just, no, he, I never think of Liam Sharp as an Olivetti clone or uh, Olivetti in Olive. I don't How think of them Echo? as being in. I don't, yeah, I don't think of them being influencing each other. So that's why I'm kind of surprised at this cover. My new saying from here on in for the rest of my life is point the finger, say no more where it touches ultra war. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It means what you think it means. 
Yeah, Grant Morrison's still patting himself on the back for that line. <laughs> this comic is genius, and I give it straight fives, and y'all will not blaspheme against this book. <laughs> blaspheming the book. I'm saying the cover was bland. Let's see here. I wrote down, actually, and I never, I very rarely do this. And if I do, I only write down one quote, but I've got like three or four quotes in here. Point the Point finger, the say finger no say more, where it touches ultra war. I mean, that's, that's it. That's now this show's slogan. <laughs> <laughs> I want t-shirts with that on on it. The second one is, we don't act like that, do we? Star Sapphire is asking how Jordan that, and behind them, as she's asking them that, you see Starfire asking the alternate reality Green Lantern the exact same thing. So I thought that was hysterical. Hey, did you like it when when Richard Nixon showed up with, with Richard the sword Nixon. and shield? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Green Lantern from the alternate reality was complaining to Hal Jordan about having to deal with, it seems like he has to deal with two versions of the same woman. You remember Hal Jordan's response? Only two? <laughs> <laughs> And then Dark Side, and like you said, Richard Nixon shows up in the background. Damn, Grant Morrison loves the name Quentin. Has there been a book that he's been on that he hasn't used that I name in? I don't know. He's, he has used that multiple times. He's used that in Justice League. He's used it in X-Men. He's used it in this. And I want that last page as a poster. I, yeah, I want, that last page is a fantastic last page. Yeah, this whole thing is mind-melting, especially for longtime followers of Morrison. He's speaking to the current real-life events at DC Comics as well as constructing a wonderful Al Jordan story. We're down to the last two issues of it, and I'm going to miss it, even though not every issue of this scored high with me. Grant Morrison is something else, and I look forward to seeing what he's coming up with next. I gave it straight fives also. I gave it straight fives because anything else is uh, against the law. (laughs) I did did like that that, uh, the Superman knockoff was a meth head, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, he was on meth. Straight meth. And they give they give the uh, formula for meth too. Yeah, they go, oh, he's on crystal meth. Yeah, no, that's all he's on. He's just on meth. Ultraman or whatever he, his name is. There's only one ultra. But no, he's not Ultraman. Whatever they call the Superman ripoff in this. I got to tell you, point the point finger, the say no say more, so where it touches ultra war. You know who doesn't have cool catchphrases like that? Who? Vendus Submariner. What the heck are you talking about? He has Imperious Rex. There's nothing cooler than that. <laughs> like saying Ben Grimm doesn't have a good saying. Maymore says, to me, my sea monkeys. <laughs> to me, my sea monkeys. <laughs> Batman's Grave, number 12, the last issue by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Man, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Albert. If that was the ending he originally had in mind, this should have been like eight issues uh, and a little bit more of a concise direction. Oh, as no. much as I've loved Warren his Ellis dialogue. Gonna, Warren Ellis is going to have to pad something out. Like, he ain't going to do no eight issues. Uh, the whole ending kind of seemed like an afterthought. I would guarantee you this was the original ending. Okay, I can see where Batman dying on... Well, spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> I can see where Batman falling down dead on top of his grave by Thomas and Martha Wayne's grave. I can see where that was going to be his ending. But for the rest of the issue, I was really curious whether or not he wrote this after the allegations and everything went public. Well, he's because not dead. I thought he was dead. I thought that was the whole point. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's got the, did you see the tear in his side with the uh, glass or whatever sticking through him? Yeah, but he's grabbing hold of that tombstone. Well, yeah, you can die grabbing a hold of something. They've had people, they've 
literally had to pry things out of people's cold, dead hands. I don't know. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's not. I don't know. I was a little bit let down. Overall, look, I love the dialogue. Alfred runs this show all the way through. There was a solid story. There was padding in this. And because of the padding, I just gave this Batman's Graves straight threes. Uh, Overall, I would give the art and dynamic a five. And no, let's not do it that way. The the whole 12 issue run, I'd give the writing and art a five, but I would give the dynamic a four because it is padded. It's Warren Ellis. It's going to be padded. So you're at 4.7. I'm at three. I was just a little disappointed with this last issue. It kind of affected the way I look at the rest of it. Brian Hitch was solid all the way through. There's corners that could have been cut that would have made this a little more of a punch than it actually was, in my opinion. Sandra, what did you think of Batman's Grave? I think I didn't read it. I'll tell you what she thinks of it. She thinks, point the finger, finger, say no more, where it touches ultra war. Death Metal, number six, by yet another Snyder we've allowed to destroy the Justice League. Oh, is that out this week? You, did you not read this? Yeah, I read it. I, I forgot I read it until you brought it up. Art by Greg Capullo. Snyder wants this to be so much more than it is. I've said that repeatedly. It's never going to be. He wants to be Grant Morrison, and he fails at every turn. Yes, he does. You're exactly right on that. That's what he wants. He wants to be Marv Wolfman, George Perez, Grant Morrison, but he can't because he doesn't have enough initiative. He doesn't understand the characters well enough. He can't get the characters' voices right. You can tell the lack of inspiration is getting to Capullo. I mentioned this on issue number five, where clearly we redid Wonder Woman's face to be Superman. Before you decide that I'm just simply biased against this, I would encourage everybody to go find a copy of the 1985 original Crisis on Infinite Earths and go page by page, word by word, panel by panel, and compare these two works so you realize just how hollow, meaningless, and without character that death metal is. I've done it. I've sat down with my absolute crisis and reread the entire thing in light of death metal. And I've got to tell you, there's several people at DC Comics that should lose their jobs and probably has over greenlighting this. No, they probably all got raises. <laughs> I was about to say, this has been very popular for them, I think. A big seller. The only good thing in this whole issue is when Luther hates Superman because of his hair. That wasn't, to me, that wasn't even funny. That was just... The worst part is when Superman decides, oh, we're just going to die fighting. I was like, no, you don't. That's not Superman. You can hear Captain America saying that, can't you? Be all that as it may, this is going to go down as the last story of the DC Universe. And that in and of itself is a tragedy on no, multiple it's not. levels. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. This is the turning point. He has set it up that this is where it ends. Dude, like in two, in two years, someone else will do some semi-crappy crisis thing that ignores everyone else's work. The correlation between the loss of Superman's reality and current world events, that is something that's worth study under the heading of America's subconscious. But there's no real art to the story. There's just hubris and greed. As truth, justice, and the American way give way to emptiness, misdirection, and corporate desires. And also, Albert, you tell me that there is ever a circumstance where Darkseid would say, my God. How could you, writing a DC comic, make the mistake of the primary Darkseid Ever saying, my God. He would say myself. Or something along those lines. No, I don't he know would never. This, this just infuriates me. Does the score matter? No. 
no, my score doesn't matter. This is a piece of trash. Thank God it's only got one more issue. Oh, but yeah, was, this is. See, I wasn't going to rate it either. So, <laughs> well, there you go. If the comic book fans are keeping this in the top 10, and to be honest, I haven't looked at the comic book sales in a couple of months, but if they are just buying cover after cover of this, reprint after reprint of it, then the comic book fans and the comic book community deserves what's about to happen next. Last comic book for DC Comics, Dark Multiverse, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Writer Steve Orlando and artist Mike Perkins. I liked it, but it's just it's just Galactus and Silver Surfer to some extent. I wrote that down, too. It was too much of a Galactus Silver Surfer vibe to be overly effective. Yes, yeah, I, st- I still liked it, but it was... I wish they would have done something else with the ending. I can see that. I'm with you on that. And I also kind of thought they need a better idea than just killing off fan favorites for shock value. Yeah. I liked Dark Multiverse Crisis on Infinite Earths better than I did the first Dark Multiverse, but I don't like it as much as I like Dark Multiverse Flashpoint. Yeah, okay. How about you? I I thought it was just okay. And they seemed to be a one-shot. They did seem to to spend a little too much time on on the characters that don't really amount to anything at the end of it. Well, yeah, there was a lot of focus on characters that were just there for Searcher to kill. Yeah. I gave it twos across the board. It's kind of a gore fix. You see a lot of your superheroes get slaughtered. And that's why you tune into it. But the ending was way too much of a Galactus Silver Surfer vibe to really impact me. Yeah, I think that's where it fell apart on me was the ending. I think there was probably a way to do that where where you could have still got that same ending without it just being Galactus Silver Surfer. But I fared it a little bit better than you. I gave it straight threes. Fair enough. It comes down to a matter of opinion on that. We also got three three parts of Endless Winter. Yeah, I read those. I think we could just say that if you like the first Endless, the Endless Winters we talked about last week, you'll like yeah. these. But otherwise, you know, they're pretty standard fare. Yeah, I, the, the the best parts pretty much the flashback scenes. The, the yeah, as of right same. now, like every issue is its own thing and doesn't tie into each other yet. Endless Winter. Crossovers Aquaman, Teen Titans, Justice League. I think these were better than the the ones we did before, but it's still the same standard old school storytelling. Yeah, there's not too much to it. You're mostly getting a neat little backstory on the Winter King. Then uh, if it says Aquaman on the cover, here's Aquaman in the comic. Okay, so it's that flavor. It's like the Kool-Aid packets. Fish flavored Kool-Aid. <laughs> if Kool-Aid Man is purple, that's great. Also, red, let's not forget true. Stan's favorite comic, Rorschach number three, came out this week. <laughs> I'm not, See, I'm that's ready? getting completely cut because I just don't want to. I didn't even read it. it. It's got nothing to do with Rorschach. No surprise there. So that's part one of our podcast. I had to divide it into two sections because COVID, holiday season, take your pick, whatever. You're still getting an entire podcast. You're just getting it in two parts. Stop bitching at me. You get one part tonight and then you get the other part tomorrow night or Sunday morning. Probably tomorrow night. But don't help me do that. 